Chapter Four of Bashan and I by Thomas Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: The Hunting Grounds, Part One. In the gardens of our small but spaciously arranged colony of villas, there are huge trees, ancient giants which tower above the roofs. They offer a marked contrast to the tender saplings but recently planted. There can be no mistaking the fact that these trees are the original growth, the aboriginal inhabitants of this region. They are the pride and beauty of this still youthful settlement. They have been carefully preserved and tended, as far as this was possible. At those points where they happen to come into conflict with the surveyor's lines, or with the fences dividing the various lots or tracts of land, that is to say, where some mossy, silvery, venerable trunk happened to be standing precisely on the lines of demarcation, you will find that the fence has made a little loop around the tree trunk, or that a gap has been left in the concrete of the garden wall. In these openings the old ones now tower, half privately, half publicly, their naked branches loaded with snow or bedizened with their small-leafed, late-sprouting foliage. These trees are of the species of the ash, a tree which loves dampness as few others do. This quality, at the same time, offers a very significant commentary upon the essential peculiarity of our strip of country. It is not yet so very long ago that human ingenuity succeeded in turning it into something capable of cultivation and occupation, possibly a decade and a half ago, no longer. Before that, it was a wilderness of swamps, a veritable brooding place for gnats and mosquitoes, a waste in which willows, crippled poplars, and such like gnarled and twisted arboreal stuff mirrored itself in stagnant pools. This region, you must know, is subject to inundation. A few meters under the surface, there is a strata of watertight soil. The ground has therefore always been swampy, and water stood in every hollow. The draining of this fin was accomplished by lowering the surface of the river. I have no head for engineering, but some such expedient was made use of, with the result that the water, which could not seep downward, was induced to flow off laterally. Hence, there are many subterranean brooks which pour themselves into the river at different spots solidity has thus been given to the soil at least the greater part of it for if you happen to know the district as bashan and i know it you would be able to discover in the thickets downstream many a reedy sinkage which reminds you of pristine conditions these are places of silence and secrecy the damp coolth of which defies the hottest summer day spots in which one is glad to rest and draw breath for a space the region really possesses its own peculiar character and is to be distinguished at first glance from the banks of the usual mountain river with their pine woods and mossy meadows. It has succeeded in retaining this original peculiarity even since it has come into the possession of the real estate company. Even outside the gardens, the aboriginal and original vegetation maintains the upper hand over the imported and the transplanted. It is true that in the avenues and parks the horse-chestnut seems to thrive as well as the swift-growing maple, even beeches and all kinds of decorative shrubbery, 
but all these including the alien poplar which towers and ranges in rows of sterile masculinity are not native to the soil i said that the ash was an indigenous tree here it is to be found everywhere and it is of all ages from giants hundreds of years old to the soft shoots which like so many weeds sprout in masses from the gravel it is the ash and its companions the silver poplar and the aspen the birch and the willow both as a tree and a bush which give distinctive character to this landscape but these are all trees with small leaves and this smallness and trimness of the foliage in conjunction with the frequently gigantic masses of the trees themselves at once attract attention to this neighborhood the elm however is an exception and we find it spreading its spacious leaves fretted as by a jigsaw and shiny and sticky on their upper surface to the sun and everywhere there are great masses of creeping plants which weave themselves around the younger trunks in the woods and in a bewildering way entangle their leaves with these the slender alders form themselves into small groves in the hollows the lime is scarcely to be met with at all the oak never appears nor does the fir yet there are firs upon the eastern declivities which form the frontiers of our territory for here the soil changes and with it the vegetation there they rear black against the heavens and peer sentinel-like upon us in our lower levels from this bluff to the river is not more than a hundred meters i have paced the distance it may be that the strip of river bank widens fan-like a little farther downstream but this divergence is in no way important it is however remarkable what a diversity of landscape this limited region affords even though one explore only the playground which lies along the river explore it with restraint and moderation like bashan and myself our forays seldom exceed two hours counting the advance and the retreat the manifold nature of the views however and the fact that one is constantly able to change one's walks and to arrange combinations that are eternally new without ever becoming bored with the landscape is due to the circumstance that it is divided into three very different regions or zones one may devote oneself separately to any of these or one may combine them by means of slanting cross paths these three regions are the regions of the river and its immediate bank on one side the regions of the bluff on the other and the region of the forest in the middle the greater part of the breadth is occupied by the zone of the forest the willow brakes and the shrubbery of the bank i find myself hunting for a word which will more perfectly fix and define this wonderful terrain than the word wood and yet i am unable to find one there can be no talk of a wood in the usual sense of the term a kind of great pillared grove with moss and strewn leafage and tree trunks of fairly uniform girth the trees in our hunting grounds are of different ages and circumference huge patriarchs of the willow and poplar families are to be found among them especially along the river though they are also to be encountered in the inner woods then there are others already full-grown which might be ten or fifteen years old and finally a legion of thin stems wild nurseries of nature's own crop of young ashes birches and elders 
these do not however call forth any impression of meagreness because as i have already indicated they are all thickly wrapped about with creepers these give an air of almost tropical luxuriance to the whole yet i suspect that these creepers hinder the growth of their hosts for during the years i have lived here i do not remember having observed that any of these little stems had grown perceptibly thicker all trees belong to a closely related species the alder is a member of the birch family in the last analysis the poplar is nothing else than a willow and one might even say that all of them approach the fundamental type of the latter all foresters and woodmen know that trees are quite ready to accept a certain adaptation to the character of the circumjacent vicinity a certain imitation or mimicry of the dominant taste in lines and form it is the fantastic witch-like distorted line of the willow which prevails here this faithful companion and attendant of still and of flowing waters with the crooked finger projecting broom-like branching boughs and it is these features which the others obviously seek to imitate the silver poplar crooks itself wholly in the style of the willow and it is often difficult to tell her from the birch which seduced by the genius loci also frequently affects the most extravagant crookednesses though i would not go so far as to say that this dear and friendly tree was not to be found and numerously found in exceedingly shapely specimens these when the afternoon light is fervent and favourable are even most enchanting to the eye the region knows it as a small silvery trunk with sparse single leaves in the crown as a sweet grown-up limber virgin with the prettiest of chalky stems and a trim and languishing way of letting the locks of her foliage hang but it also makes its appearance as a creature of absolutely elephantine proportions with a waist which no man could span with his arms and a rind which has preserved traces of its erstwhile whiteness only high up towards the top whilst near the ground it has become a coarse calcined and fissured bark as to the soil this has little resemblance to that of a forest it is pebbly full of clay and even sand and no one would dream of calling it fertile and yet within limits it is fertile even to luxuriance a tall grass flourishes upon it though this often assumes a dry sharply angular and meagre character in winter it covers the ground like trampled hay sometimes it degenerates into reeds whilst in other parts it is soft thick and lush mixed with hemlock nettles coltsfoot all manner of creeping leafy stuff high rocket-like thistles and young and tender tree shoots it is a favorite hiding-place for pheasants and quail and the vegetation runs in billows against the gnarled boles of the tree roots out of this chaos of undergrowth and ground thicket the wild vine and wild hop plant go gyrating up in spirals draping broad-leaved garlands upon the trees and even in winter clinging to the trunks with tendrils which resemble hard and unbreakable wire this domain is neither forest nor park it is an enchanted garden nothing less 
i will stoutly defend this term even though it refers to a poor limited and even crippled bit of nature the glories of which may be exhausted with a few simple botanical names the ground is undulant it rises and falls in regular waves this feature gives a fine completeness to the views the eye is led into the illimitable even at the sides yes even if this wood were to stretch for miles to the right and left even if it were to be as broad as it is long instead of merely measuring a hundred and some odd paces from the centre to the extreme edge on either side one could not feel more secluded more lost or isolated alone the ear is reminded by the regular and rushing sound of waters to the west that the river hovers within a friendly distance near yet invisible there are little gulches filled to the brim with bushes of elder common privet jasmine and black elderberry so that one's lungs on steamy june days are almost overcome by perfume and then again there are sinkages in the ground mere gravel pits along the slopes and bottoms of which only a few willow shoots and a little dry sage manage to flourish all this has not ceased to exert a magic influence upon me even though the place for many a year has been as a daily haunt to me in some ways i am fantastically moved and touched by all this for example by the massed foliage of the ash trees which reminds me somehow of the contours of huge bulls these creeping vines and reedy thickets this dampness and this drought this meagre jungle to sum up my impressions as a whole affect me a little like being transported to the landscape of another period of the earth's growth even to a submarine landscape as though one were wandering at the bottom of the sea this vision has a certain contact with reality for water once stood or ran everywhere hereabout especially in those seepages which have now assumed the shape of square meadow basins surrounded by nurseries of ash trees and serve sheep for drink and pasture one of these ponds lies directly behind my house my delectable wilderness is criss-crossed by paths by strips of trampled grass and also by pebbly trails obviously none of these were made they simply grew through the agency of use yet no man could say by whom these paths have been trodden into the soil it is only now and then and usually as an unpleasant exception that bashan and i meet any one here when such meetings do occur my companion comes to a sudden halt in startled surprise and gives vent to a single muffled bark which gives a pretty clear expression to my own feelings in connection with the encounter even on fine sunny afternoons in the summer when great numbers of pedestrians from the city come pouring into the neighborhood it is always a few degrees cooler here than elsewhere we too are able to wander quite undisturbed in the inner ways the public is apparently unaware of these besides the river is a great attraction and draws them mightily hugging its banks as closely as possible that is when there is no flooding the human river wanders out into the countryside and then comes rolling back in the evening at most we chance to stumble upon a pair of lovers kissing in the bushes with wide shy yet insolent eyes regard us from their bower 
as though stubbornly bent on challenging us daring us to say anything against their being there defying us to give any open disapproval of their remote and guerrilla love-making intimations which we silently answer in the negative by beating a flank retreat fashion with that air of indifference with which all things that do not bear the scent of the wild about them affect him and i with a perfectly inscrutable and expressionless face which allows no trace either of approval or disapproval to be seen but these paths are not the only means of traffic and communication in my domain you will find streets there or to be more precise preparations that may once have been streets or were once destined to be such it is like this traces of the pathfinding and path-clearing acts and of a sanguine spirit of enterprise in the realm of real estate reveal themselves for quite a distance beyond the built-up part of the country and the little villa colony some speculative soul had peered deeply into the untold possibilities of the future and had proceeded upon a bold and audacious plan the society which had taken this tract of territory in hand some ten or fifteen years before had cherished plans far more magnificent than those which came to pass for originally the colony was not to have been confined to the handful of villas which now stand there building lots were plentiful for more than a mile downstream everything had been prepared and is no doubt still prepared for possible buyers and for lovers of a settled suburban manner of life the councils of this syndicate had been dominated by large and lofty ideals they had not contented themselves with building proper jetties along the banks with the creation of riverside walks and quays and with the planting of parks and gardens they had gone far beyond all this the hand of cultivation had invaded the woods themselves had made clearings piled up gravel united the wilderness by means of streets a few lengthways and still more crosswise they are well-planned and handsome streets or sketches of streets in coarse macadam with the hint of a curb and roomy sidewalks on these however no one goes walking but bashan and myself he upon the good and durable leather of his four paws i upon hobnailed boots because of the macadam the villas which should long ago have risen hospitably along these streets according to the calculations and intentions of the society have for the present refused to materialize even though i have set so excellent an example as to build my own house in these parts they have remained absent i say for ten for fifteen years and so it is small wonder that a certain discouragement has settled down upon the neighbourhood and that a disinclination for further expenditures and for the completion of that which was so magnificently begun should make itself felt in the bosom of the society everything had progressed admirably up to a certain point things had even gone so far as the christening of the new streets for these thoroughfares without inhabitants have right and regular names just like ordinary or orthodox streets in the city or in the civilized suburbs but i would give much to know what dreamy soul or retrospective highbrow of a speculator had assigned them 
There is a Goethe and a Schiller, a Lessing and a Heine Street. There is even an Adelbert Stifter Street, upon which I stroll with particular sympathy and reverence in my hobnailed boots. Square stakes are visible, such as may be seen in at the corners of the raw and uncompleted streets in the suburbs where there are no corner houses. Little blue enameled shields with white letters are fastened to these stakes. These shields, alas, are not in the best condition. They have stood here far too long, giving a name to adumbrations of streets in which no one cares to live and they have been singled out to bear the stigmata of disappointment, fiasco, and arrested development, to which they give public expression. They are wrapped in an air of forlorn disquietude and neglect. Nothing has been done for their upkeep, nor for their renewal, and the weather and the sun have played havoc with them. The enamel, to a great extent, has split and cracked off. The white letters have been eaten away by rust, so that in place of their smooth and glittering whiteness there are only brown spots and gaps with hideous jagged edges disfigurements which tear the image of the name asunder and often render it illegible one of these blue enameled signboards imposed a tremendous strain upon my intellect when i first came hither and penetrated this region on my tours of exploration it was a signboard particularly long in shape and the words street, strasse, had been preserved without a break. But of the actual name, which, as I have indicated, was very long, or rather had been very long, the letters were nearly all completely blinded or devoured by rust. The reddish-brownish gaps gave one some idea of their number, but nothing was decipherable except the half of a capital S, and an e in the middle and another e at the end this riddle was a little too much for my astuteness i was face to face with too many unknown quantities so i stood there for a long time my hands upon my back staring at the long signboard and studying it closely and then i gave it up and went strolling along the rudimentary pavement with passion but whilst I thought that I was occupying myself with other things, this particular thing kept working within the mnemonic depths of me. My sub-intelligence kept scenting out the destroyed name, and suddenly it shot into my consciousness. I stood still, as in a fright. I rushed back and once more planted myself in front of the signboard. I counted and compared and tested the elements of my guess yes it fitted it worked out we were wandering in the street which had been called shakespeare these signboards befit the streets which justify their metallic existence and these streets the signboards which give them a local habitation and a name both of them are dreamily and wonderfully lapped in forgetfulness and decay they pursue their way through the wood which they have invaded but the wood refuses to rest it refuses to leave these streets inviolate for a decade or more until settlers choose to pitch their tents or villas here. So the wood calmly goes to work and makes preparation to close the streets, for the green things that grow here have no fear of gravel or macadam. They are used to it and thrive in it and on it. 
so everywhere upon the streets and upon the pavements the purple-headed thistles the blue sage silvery willow shrubs and the green of young ash-tree sprouts begin to take root and shoot forth there can be no doubt these park-like streets with the poetic names are running wild the jungle is once more devouring them whether one be disposed to lament the fact or rejoice over it it is certain that in another ten years the goethe schiller and heine streets will no longer be passable and will very likely have vanished utterly at present to be sure there is no cause for complaint surely from a pictorial and romantic point of view there are no lovelier streets in all the world than precisely these in precisely their present condition nothing could be more grateful to the soul than to ramble through this negligence this incompleteness that is when one is well and sturdily shod and need not fear the coarse gravel it is edification to the spirit to survey the manifold wild vegetation of the tract and the groves of tiny-leaved trees fettered by their soft dampness sweet glimpses which frame and shut in these perspectives just such a group of trees was painted three hundred years ago by that great master of landscapes he who came out of lorraine but what am i saying such as he painted it was this one and none other which he painted he was here he knew the region and if that rhapsodical member of the real estate company who christened the streets in my park had not so rigidly restricted himself to literature then one or the other of these rust-corroded signs might well cause me to guess at the name of claude lorraine i have now described the region of the central wood but the sloping land towards the east also possesses charms which are not to be despised at least so far as bashan and myself are concerned and for reasons which will be revealed later one might also call it the zone of the brook for it is a brook which gives it an idyllic landscape quality with the charm of its banks of forget-me-nots it forms a counterpart on the hither side to the zone of the puissant river yonder the roar and rushing turbulence of which one is still able to hear in this spot but only very faintly and softly and only when the west wind is blowing there where the first cross street running from the avenue of poplars between the meadow ponds and the clumps of trees towards the slope debouches at the foot of this slope there is a path that leads towards the left this is used in winter time as a bobsled run by the youth of the region and slants towards the lower lying levels where the run becomes level the brook begins its course and it is here that master and dog love to amble beside it on the right bank or the left which again affords variety and also to make excursions along the slope with its variegated configuration to the left extend meadows studded with trees a country nursery lies not far away and reveals the back of its farm buildings sheep are usually at pasture here cropping the clover they are under the chairmanship so to speak of a not very clever little girl in a red frock this little girl seems to suffer from a veritable passion to rule and command she is constantly crouching low propping her hands upon her knees and shouting with all her might in a cacophonous voice 
and yet she is horribly afraid of the ram who takes on huge and majestic proportions on account of the thickness of his wool and who refuses to be bullied and does whatever he pleases whenever bashan's appearance causes a panic among the sheep the child invariably raises its hideous outcry and these panics occur quite regularly and quite contrary to bashan's intentions for if you could peer into his inmost soul you would discover that sheep are a matter of absolute indifference to him he treats them like so much empty air and by his indifference and his scrupulous and even contemptuous carefulness he even seeks to prevent the outbreak of the dunder-headed hysteria which dominates their ranks though their scent is certainly strong enough for my own nostrils yet not unpleasantly so it is not the scent of the wild that emanates from them and so bashan of course has not the slightest interest in hounding them nevertheless a simple sudden motion on his part or even his mere shaggy appearance is sufficient to cause the whole herd which but a moment ago was peacefully grazing widely separated and bleating in the quavering treble of the lambs and in the deeper contralto and bass of the ewes and the ram to go storming off in a solid mass neck and neck whilst the stupid child crouching low shouts after them until her voice cracks and her eyes pop out of her head bashan however looks up at me as much as to say judge for yourself whether i am to blame have i given them any cause for this on one occasion however something quite contrary happened something perverse and incomprehensible something still more extraordinary and unpleasant than the panic one of the sheep quite an ordinary specimen of its kind of average size and average sheepish visage with a small upward curving mouth which appeared to smile and gave an expression of almost mocking stupidity to its face seemed to be spellbound and fascinated by bashan and came to join him it simply followed him detached itself from the herd left the pasture and clung to bashan's heels quietly smiling in exaggerated foolishness and following him whithersoever he turned he left the path the sheep did likewise he ran and it followed at a gallop he stood still and it stood still immediately behind him and smiling its mysterious mona lisa smile displeasure and embarrassment became visible in bashan's face the situation into which he had been plunged was really ridiculous there was neither sense nor significance in it neither in a good or a bad sense the whole thing confound it was simply preposterous nothing of the kind had ever happened to him or to me the sheep went farther and farther from its basis but this did not seem to trouble it in the least it followed the discomfited and irritated bashan farther and farther visibly determined not to separate from him ever again but to follow him whithersoever he might go he remained close beside me not so much out of fear since there was no occasion for this as out of shame at the dishonour of the situation in which he found himself finally as though his patience were at an end he stood still turned his head and growled ominously this caused the sheep to bleat 
and its bleating sounded like the wicked laughter of a human being which so terrified poor bashan that he ran away with his tail between his legs and the sheep straight after him with comic jumps and curvetings we were already at a considerable distance from the herd in the meantime the half-witted little girl was screaming as though she would burst still crouching and bending upon her knees and even drawing these up as high as her face so that from a distance she looked like a raving and malformed gnome and then a farm-maid with an apron over her skirts came running up either in answer to the cries of the obsessed little one or because she had noticed the happenings from afar she came running i say with a pitchfork in one hand with the other she supported her bodice which i surmised was unsupported and which was visibly disposed to shake a trifle too violently as she ran she came up panting and at once proceeded to shy the sheep which was slowly pacing along like bashan himself into the proper direction with the fork though without success the sheep it is true sprang aside with a swift flank movement but in an instant it was once more on bashan's trail nothing seemed to be able to induce it to give up i then realized that the only thing to do was to turn tail myself and so i turned round we all retraced our steps bashan at my side beside him the sheep and behind the sheep the maid with the pitchfork whilst the child in the red frock kept on yelling and stamping it was not enough however that we should go back as far as the herd it was necessary to finish the job and to proceed to the final destination we were obliged to enter the farmyard and then the sheep stable with the broad sliding door which the maid with muscular arm rolled to one side before us we thereupon marched in and after we were all inside we three were forced to make a swift and adroit escape so as to be able to shove the stable door to before the very nose of the beguiled sheep making it a prisoner it was only after this operation had been gone through that bashan and i were able to resume our interrupted promenade amidst the fervent thanks of the maid during the entire walk however bashan persisted in maintaining a humble and disconsolate air End of chapter four part one